0: Thanks for joining me, Pete Holtzman, for the Credentials Only podcast where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Kevin DeShazo, a speaker, author, and consultant on social media leadership and culture. In 2011, Kevin began providing social media advice to college athletes and administrators. While still doing so, the tone of those consultations has changed considerably. They can now profit off of it or we'll be able
1: to soon. And so it's just such a massive shift from, hey, come scare them off of it to, hey, will you show them how to make money off of it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's in, in just 10 years, like that's a drastic, drastic change in, in a pretty short time span.
0: A key message in Kevin's work is helping these young adults understand how they can build a personal brand with social media.
1: And so these student athletes, we're giving them the best tools. We're not actually preparing them to use social media well, um, because just, we, we've decided that just because they've grown up with it means they understand how to use it in a professional way, in a marketing way. It's like, no, they're still kids um, and they're still using it mostly just to talk to their own friends.
0: While much of his work is focused on the athletes themselves, Kevin also shares insight into what he feels institutions can do better with their digital efforts.
1: And listen to your social media people, listen to your digital creatives. They don't have enough of a voice with upper management. And some of that is because they haven't done a good job of Educating upper men. they don't own it very well, right? They don't act like they belong. And so they have to do a better job of building influence, but we have to do a better job of giving them a seat
0: at the table. In recent years, Kevin's focus has grown to include a more holistic approach to an athlete's personal growth, while also addressing sustainable leadership and cultural development within organizations.
1: In most of leader development, how we view it is bringing a speaker and they rah-rah us for 30 minutes or an hour, and then they leave and we're like, that was amazing. And then two weeks later, we're back to normal. Kevin knows that this type of content cannot be one size fits all. You know, we could take a leadership team or take the marketing team. Or we could spend two hours with them, breaking down all sorts of stuff and really digging in. With a sports team, it's hour at the most, but usually, hey, what can we get done in 30 minutes? Like we have to make our stuff bite-sized, but still transformational.
0: While you listen, check out the show notes for this episode on credentialsonly.com. And while you're there, go ahead and sign up for our mailing list. Also, take a moment, follow us on social media, and if you would, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Kevin DeShazo about social media, leadership, and culture. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. When I go online, I read your bio. It says, I founded Fieldhouse Media to help college athletes, coaches, and administrators be better on social media. And I'm helping leaders and teams create championship culture with Culture Wins, a division of Giant Worldwide. I've presented and spoken at over 250 campuses, national conventions over the past nine years. My assumption is then the rest of that bio is going to be, and I was an athlete in college, and I was the team captain, and all conference, all American probably. That's not where the story goes, is it? Yeah,
1: not, not so much. No, I, I played, I was an athlete, uh, but not a college athlete, not even really a high school athlete. Like I was done freshman year of high school, uh, unless we want to count intramurals in college. But no, I, w- I was just really just a sports fan uh, and, and grew up like probably most sports fan, I would guess. I don't know, but like I wanted to work in sports. Um, you know, I grew up in the Jordan era. I wanted to work for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and, and wanted to work for a team. And and now I kind of have the dream job of, I have the opportunity, the potential
0: to work with almost every team, which is, which is even better. Your path through college didn't have the sports in it in terms of playing. It also didn't really have it in terms of your education. What did you study?
1: Yeah. So I, my, my degree is in management information systems. And so I came in, went to Oklahoma state And I knew I wanted to do something with computers, right? So I graduated high school in 2000. Computers were becoming obviously this big deal in the business world. And so I showed up and they said, there's kind of two tracks. If you want to do computer programming, do computer science. I was like, that sounds awful. Um, If you want to do computers for business, do MIS. I was like, business is more where I'm thinking, let's do that. And, and so that, that, was my my you know career path or or education path? Honestly, didn't really enjoy it. At Oklahoma State in the business school, you couldn't declare a major until your third year. So the first two years were just kind of your, your 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 standard. I don't know I don't what they call them. It's been too long since college, but just kind of your standard stuff, right? Your your English and your math, and and then you declare. And so I declared my my third year. After that year, I was like, "This is awful. Like I do not want to. This is not what I want to do." but also realize it probably didn't matter, right? Just get a degree and, and figure out your career path. But I didn't know I could have been working for the athletic department. Like, you know, they have, they do, do volunteers and interns and all, I had no clue that was even, and I wish I had known, uh, cause that would have been amazing, but I had, had no clue that was even an option.
0: Coming out of school, you're still not getting into sports. You were in healthcare staffing. That seems like a far cry from what you're doing now what did you take from that experience, both working in a more rigid corporate outlet, but also just being in, a, in an industry where you're out there recruiting people? You were trying to find people to go be nurses in different places.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. You know, I, so my, my now wife was my girlfriend. I followed her uh, to Oklahoma City. So she started actually working with Giant, who I now do some work with. That was my connection. And the, and the CEO of Giant helped me kind of get my first job. I didn't know anybody in Oklahoma City and so I'm, yeah, I'm not using my MIS degree. has nothing to do with sports, um, and I'm, I'm just, I didn't know honestly what I was interviewing for. He said, "Do you want to be a recruiter?" I'm like, "That sounds fun," because my my experience with recruiting was career fairs at Oklahoma State. So I thought, like, go to college campuses for job fairs. I'm like, traveling sounds awesome. I love college, so yes, that sounds great. Uh, that was not, in fact, what I was interviewing for. Um, but for me, it was it was really interesting. It it showed the value of um, you can you can. You know, there's this idea of a dream job, and I kind of have it now, but that is not a path I ever thought I would have taken. But I loved it. And I don't know that I love the job so much as I love the people that I was working with. And so part of it's like we, we our, our culture puts so much emphasis on the job that you do. I think it's more the the people that you're working with. And so finding value in that, finding you know we keep find your dream job, find make it, find the job that's meaningful. like well, that's a that's a weird phrase. You know like if you ask my dad or my grandpa like going to the factory every day, is that meaningful? well, it provided for my family and took care of us and gave me like something to go do and use my skill. Like, Yeah, that was meaningful. Like, oh yeah, that's a different, different perspective. Um, so it was just a really interesting time for me to, to understand leadership, to understand organizational structure. I mean, I, I went in, I mean, I was just clueless on all these things. And so being, being in, a, in a corporate organization, being in leadership in a corporate organization, um, I got a kind of a crash course in, in business, even though I had a kind of a business degree um, but, but a, crash cor- a crash course in business and a growing business. We grew 40% year over year the first four years and then failed miserably for three years. And so I was just I kind of, my, my experience kind of ran the gamut in a short time.
0: And you were within a corporation, but then you went in entrep- entrepreneurial spirit, went and started it on your own. How was that effort? Complete,
1: complete and utter failure. Um, so I was really good at my job or so I thought. So I was one of the best in our in our organization and our organization was one of the best in the country. So in my, in my prideful mind, I'm like, I'm one of the best in the country at this. I'm gonna go do it on my own and I can make even more money and have even more flexibility, maybe build my own kind of small, small business. And so left, I did the thing you're not supposed to do is start a business with one of your close friends. And that fell apart, that friendship fractured and made $0 in the course of a year. And so it turned out, Uh, it's, it's really hard to build a business when you, to, to be really good and compete when you don't have a $500 million company and their resources behind you. So it's kind of a humbling thing of realizing I was not as good as I thought I was. I was in the right place at the right time with the right team and the right resources. Um, I had some skill and some talent, but it was a a perfect mix. And when I left and did that on my own, I had zero, all I had was some of my talent and no resources, no team, no, no nothing. Um, and so it was. A, it was an eye-opening experience from that, but also just uh, that was the first time in my life that I ever actually failed. And so to have to kind of wrestle wrestle with that was really
0: interesting. How do you turn that around and and make it something that's beneficial to you? At the time, it's obviously miserable, but it, yeah. it it's a lesson. Yeah, I yeah,
1: you know, my personality like I I'm okay with risk, um, and so that was, that was you know I knew there was a chance it would fail. For me, I had to really learn to take my identity out of my work, which is really hard, especially when it's your company. Because you, you decide, like, if the company fails, then you are a failure. And you wear that, um, that shame, that embarrassment, that identity, that label, whatever. I just had to get to a point where, like, no, no, no. If that fails, that, that's okay. That's just, it's, it's a lesson for me. That doesn't mean that I am a failure. Um, but it was also one of those things that I realized, you know, it, it, about nine to 10 months into it, I realized this is not going to work. It's not fun. I don't enjoy it. I'm, I'm actively avoiding the work. Uh, like I'm I was spending all, all day on, online on social media, reading blogs and reading tweets and reading stuff about leadership and about social media and, and convincing myself that I was doing work, but I was just, I was avoiding the actual work. Um, but it was at that point, I thought I had the idea for Fieldhouse Media. And so it was interesting, Like even in the midst of failure, I had another idea, which is kind of my, my brain, I'm always thinking of 25 different, different ideas, but it was kind of this, this aha moment of, yeah, you fail, but like you're, everything's okay. Like you're, you're still married. You still have a house. You still have family. Like you still have your health, like, and and truthfully realizing that very few people in the world actually even knew because nobody knew who I was. And even, even today, it's like, I'm a little more known just because of the industry that I work in, but I could fail today and like 99.9% of the world would have no clue that my, my company failed. And so we just tend to think the world is like caving in on us. Like, no, nobody knows, nobody has any clue. Um, so get up and, and figure, figure something else out.
0: You talked about graduating high school in 2000 when computers were becoming a bigger piece of life. You graduated from college and we're getting into the workforce as social media was starting to explode. And you talked about working by spending your time on social media. How did you get to be so engaged on social media during that time when you were still in that healthcare recruitment work? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So in the healthcare world, you know, the, the recession, whatever year this 07 ish probably started to hit 07, 08 recession started to hit and our corporate office started like pulling back on a bunch of resources and, and so the recruiting industry, I mean, you have job boards and, and places where you find candidates for whatever industry, and then you have clients that you're placing those candidates with. Well, they started taking away access to our job boards, which means like we didn't have access to candidates. So we can't fill, we can't get this, this healthcare clinic, a nurse manager. If we can't get nurse managers, we don't have access. we got to figure out how to do this. And so I walked around one day and saw that my team was all on Facebook and, and Twitter at this point had, to, I don't even. I guess it probably came out in the 07, 08. Right around then, yeah. So nobody, nobody really knew what it was, but everyone on my team was on Facebook. And I, I just had this kind of light bulb moment of, I bet these nurses are too. What if we can, what if we can find these nurses on Facebook? And so we started using Facebook to recruit and we kept hitting our numbers. We were the only team in the entire organization who was not tanking. Uh, and, and I think that was just because we were using Facebook as a recruiting tool. And so that was an, an aha moment for me to realize like, okay, social media could be something like, and I know that sounds ridiculous now, but again, this was 07. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then Twitter came out and I was immediately addicted to Twitter. Uh, and I think just because my personality, I love connecting with new people. And so the idea that I now had access to anyone you know, in the early days, I could follow Shaq, I could follow Mark Cuban, I could all, and see what they were doing at any given day. I mean, Shaq was doing giveaways on street corners in Phoenix. Um, hey, meet me here. And I'll give you tickets to the game. Like, I just thought that was the craziest thing in the world. Um, I live in Oklahoma City, I was getting to have conversations with James Harden when he was on the Thunder on Twitter. And so it just kind of blew my mind of what social media, like all these possibilities. And, and so that just kind of slowly started to shift my brain to like, maybe social media is a world that
0: I want to be be involved in. You were able to pivot into social media and you mentioned Fieldhouse and that came quickly as you transitioned out of that healthcare industry and into social and sports. How did you build up both those things really and merge them in social media and sports? Yeah.
1: So I, you know, when I was still working in the corporate world, I was on, on towards the end of, the, of that time, I was spending a lot of time on Twitter mostly just as a sports fan um, started, started seeing some issues with student athletes and some opportunities there. And some friends, people in the, in the, at the office knew like, that I was unhappy, that I was, I was wanting to leave. And they were like, hey, you should go be a social media consultant. And this is when anyone with a Twitter account was a social media expert, right? <laughs> and, and so I could have done that. Ethically, I was not okay doing that. I was like, I, I don't know enough about it to go charge, charge money. I just wouldn't feel okay with that. Uh, and so when I left and started doing my own healthcare stuff, on the side, I was doing some social media consulting with an actual agency here in Oklahoma City with a guy who had transitioned um, the state's largest newspaper from print, print to digital, who really understood this, even though it was new, he really understood the space, saw where it was going, and so it was kind of being mentored by him. Uh, and then the student athlete thing just kind of kept kept coming up. I just kept noticing these issues and, and saw the real connection between sports and social media. And I just kept complaining to friends, like, man, someone needs to talk to student athletes. Uh, and eventually a friend who now actually he he's used social media from being a just he was a finance finance guy sports blogger who now covers golf for CBS sports because of the power of social media didn't have a journalism background had an accounting background uh, he said he, he finally said look man either do something or shut up about it I like you've been talking about this for like for over a year do something I was like I don't know anybody like, I'm, I'm really good at building a lot of connections, but I didn't know anybody in the sports world. I was mostly, again, on Twitter as a sports fan. So, my connections on Twitter were um, Oklahoma City Thunder fans and Oklahoma State University fans. Because, like, we'd be on Twitter, right, during games, just live tweeting and sharing experiences. So, that, that was my connection. And I said, I don't know anybody. He said, well, you know social media, so figure it out. And so, I just started using, social media, using specifically Twitter to connect with ADs, SIDs, compl- whoever I could find. Um, and I didn't. I didn't even know what an SID was. Right? Like I got invited to speak at Cosida about a year into it. I didn't know what Cosida was. Uh, I've met SIDs at that point. I'm like, I don't know what Cosida is. But I just, I just saw the opportunity to, to connect, and so I just started tweeting more about sports and social media, tweeting more about student athletes and social media, um, blogging about it, writing about it, trying to like get that message out, get that story out, and, and thankfully it connected.
0: Within Fieldhouse Media, one of the things that you're pushing is that athletes are personal brands and they yeah. can use the platforms to build that brand. At the same time, you're talking to the administrators to kind of keep them in check on it. And I want to dive into both. I think the first thing, it's interesting, the journey that social media has taken from, I think when it started and when you started Fieldhouse media, it was probably really viewed as dangerous That's right. to now it's viewed as dollars. And That's it's right. a very important part of that athletic department business and for those athletes. How have you seen that story arc play out over the decade?
1: Yeah, oh, it's crazy. I mean, you, you nailed it. Because when I first started, the requests I was getting were from you know ADs or administrators or coaches, whomever. Hey, will you come scare our kids off of social media? Will you come warn them about the dangers of social media? I'm like, yeah, absolutely, sure. <laughs> I didn't think it was all that. I mean, I, I understand there are risks, obviously, but my message was, yeah, I see those. There's a, there's a lot of opportunity to use it well if you're going to spend time on the platform, like let's make that useful time. Uh, And so, and and part of that, I I get it, right? They were, those statements were coming out of ignorance, right? They just didn't know. It was so new that most of these administrators, they didn't have Twitter accounts. They weren't using social media. And so all they heard about were the dangers. The only thing they knew was like, wait a minute, this 18 year old kid can say anything and the entire world can see it. Like, yeah, pretty much sums it up, uh, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. And to now it's you know uh, one departments are using social media obviously to drive revenue drive ticket sales drive merchandise sales drive awareness drive all sorts of stuff um, but now we're seeing not just departments now it's shifting to the student athletes and, and soon and, and some of them i guess now with like the naia they can now profit off of it or will be able to soon and so it's just such a massive shift from hey come scare them off of it to hey will you show them how to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in, in, just 10 years, like that's a drastic, drastic change in, in
0: a pretty short time span. You mentioned the monetizing name, image, and likeness is a tectonic shift in college athletics. What does that mean for what you guys do at Fieldhouse? It's, it's really
1: interesting. So I didn't know what our role was going to be in that. Um, because the industry is, it's been really interesting. They've, they've really moved away from education to just content delivery. Uh, and we're acting as though if we give these kids, you know, schools now, especially Power Five schools, they've got, you know, in-house photographers, video teams who, who are unbelievably talented. And, and they finally bought into the idea that people follow people more than they follow brands. And so if we can get some of this amazing content we're creating into the hands of our student athletes, really, they're thinking that's a win for our department because more eyeballs on our content uh, and now it can help them monetize. I think that's fine. I think it's, it's good to give them content that doesn't mean they have any clue how to actually build a brand, right? You could give me all the best tools in the world, well, I walk in and say, Kevin, here's a million dollars worth of the best tools. Now go build a house and say, I don't know how to build a house. Yeah. But we gave you the best tools that there are. That's great. I don't know how to use them. And so these student athletes, we're giving them the best tools. We're not actually preparing them to use social media well, um, because just, we, we've decided that just because they've grown up with it means they understand how to use it. In a professional way in a marketing way it's like no they're still kids um, and they're still using it mostly just to talk to their own friends and so if we can give them really high quality uh, pictures or videos to put out every now and then which we should but if the rest of their content is them looking like an immature 17 year old <laughs> that's not that's not building a valuable brand and so i, I was really kind of sitting back and watching what, what's happening with it because that's not a space we're going to get into um, there are people who could do that and do that well that we would that we would generally recommend to schools um, but I'm seeing with NIL, people are rediscovering the need for education. Uh, and, and so for us, we're actually launching a platform. And it's not just NIL. Like NIL is the topic of the day, it's, but it's like this much of student-athlete development. I think the last 10 years, the arms race around the student-athlete experience has been around facilities, uh, weight rooms, and locker rooms, and nutrition, and, and, and really good things. Um, there's a limit to what we can do with that. Um, I think the next 10 years, the arms race around the student athlete experience is really around student athlete development. And so we're creating a platform where in the palm of their hand, they will have access to NIL tools. What does it mean to build a personal brand? How do you think like an entrepreneur? Um, How do you be a better public speaker? I think one of the big opportunities for these kids is everyone's a hometown hero somewhere. So now when you go back to your high school and speak, they can actually pay you for it. Or local businesses around your hometown, you can actually get paid for it. So, how do you be a better public speaker? How do you form a business? How do you deal with your money? So, some of that stuff, um, but also on the platform will be leadership content and stuff around self awareness and communication and building influence and mental health. Um, and so, it'll be, it'll be, it's kind of Netflix meets Peloton meets Masterclass, um, where they have this in, in the palm of their hands.
0: That's a big transition for the company to make, Fieldhouse to make. Massive, but you have to be that agile when you're working in the social media space because it's changing over time. How have you overseen that change after change and all the growth that you've been able to enjoy with the company?
1: Yeah, I think my, I I love change. Like my my personality, I love it. I embrace it. I look forward to it. Uh, not everyone is that way. That's not doesn't mean better or worse. Like some people just they the pace of change is is frustrating to them or scary to them, whatever. For me, like I, I live for that. And so I think it's, it's, I've always been okay with the change and realizing that if something's going to survive, it's probably going to have to change a little bit. So field house today is different than what it was 10 years ago. You know, again, we started out just talking to student athletes and it was Facebook and Twitter. Well, then we started working with realizing, and if student at, or not student athletes, the, the administrators are the real key to that puzzle because they're spending time with them all day. So we can't just educate student athletes. Well, we've got to educate coaches and administrators and help them understand how to use social media. Well, you know what? These people need help telling their story in general. Maybe we should do some consulting and, and help them with an actual social media strategy. And so there's just been this evolution. Um, and then, you know, getting into the leadership stuff as well. It's kind of all kind of merged together. Um, so for me, I, I love it. I look forward and I, it'll be interesting to see what it is 10 years from now.
0: You know, As you consult with people and advise them, if you were someone who was working with an athlete and probably less of student athletes, but more so athletes in general on their social media presence, what would be a little bit of advice you might share with them?
1: Yeah. I think the first thing for people is they have to have a reason to be on social media and, and a reason to do anything, right? Cause if you don't have a reason, you're just wasting time, right? If I go into the gym uh, and I'm like, I don't know. I've, I just start lifting some weights or if I go to the basketball gym, like, and just start putting up shots, like I'm doing some work. I'm not making intentional progress because I don't, I'm, I'm not going into like work on a specific muscle or work on a specific move or a specific shot or whatever. And so that, that why drives your actions. And so it's like, what, what do you want to achieve? Like, what are you wanting to get sponsorships? Are you wanting to get a job? Are you wanting to raise awareness? Are you like, what, what's your why? And also realizing that, you know, this generation, and, and part of it is, is an industry, we've not done a good job of, of countering this. They're so concerned with number of followers, like it doesn't matter. Like having a strong personal brand doesn't mean having a million followers. I couldn't care less how many followers you have. I have, let me look because I don't pay that close of attention to it. <laughs> uh, I have 14,400 followers and I've made over a million dollars on social media. Like, so I don't care if you have a hundred thousand, I don't care if you have 2,000. Um It's, it's how like, are people following you for the right reasons and are the people following you do they actually care? Are they engaged? do they act when you say something? Um, and so building a personal brand could just be something that helps you get hired right because you know we know most of these kids aren't going to go pro. Well a strong personal brand will help you get hired as a teacher or a salesman or in communications or whatever it may be. Um, but I think it all goes back to having a purpose and most of them, it's like, well, why are you on Twitter? I don't know, because everyone's on Twitter. Okay, that's a, bad, <laughs> that's a bad reason. Why are you on Snapchat? Well, my friends are there. Okay, bad reason. Um, and that, that doesn't mean they're doing bad things on these platforms. It just means they're adding noise. Um, and if you want to add value, you have to have something that actually drives that, a real reason, a real purpose. And so I always start with that. Like, hey, what, what do you want? Um, once we get clear on what you want, then we can get clear on building a plan to get you from where you are to
0: where you want to be. You mentioned people follow people, not brands, but the brands are there. And you talked about the teams doing it and what would then advice be to those teams where, yeah, your quarterback probably has more followers than you have, but at the end of the day, you're the one having to pay that quarterback and bring in those sponsors and those ticket buyers.
1: Yeah. I think they've uh, universities, especially, they have to realize like these kids come and go, you know, and, and a lot of their brand will be built because of the strength of the brand of the university. Right, like Trevor Lawrence, he's great. Unbelievable player. Um, fine on social media. Not, not a crazy active user. He's not, he's not good or bad. He's, he's just kind of there. But, but he's valuable because of who he is. Right? He's valuable on social media because of what he does on the field. I think he could be even more valuable on social media if he used it in a, in a different way. But he's going to come and go. Clemson is still there. And so like Clemson, how are you going to tell your story? How are you going to leverage your brand so that you get the best recruits? So, and it's not, and winning is part of it, right? Like we, winning, you know, Zach Logsdon from Old Hat Creative, how to, how, I can't remember the name of his book. I think it's called like Winning Doesn't Solve Everything or so, it's something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Basically, like if winning solves everything, then fire everyone and just spend $20 million on the best head coach. Um, but you don't have to be a winning program to have a, to have a good story, to drive revenue, to drive ticket sales. But I think for organizations, like they just have to understand the space that we're living in and listen to your social media people. Listen to your digital creatives. I think we're, we're, we still don't do a good job of we've got our, our boots on the ground, people who are creating content, who are in the replies every day, engaging and developing. They don't have enough of a voice with upper management. And some of that is because they haven't done a good job of educating upper They 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 don't own it very well, right? They don't act like they belong. And so they have to do a better job of building influence, but we have to do a better job of giving them a seat at the table say, hey, what are you hearing? What are we missing? How can we do a better job of telling our story and helping our student athletes tell their story?
0: Do you feel that there's still kind of a gap? Because there is the, the many in the leadership generation are older and I think they're less scared of social than they were a decade ago, but still aren't familiar with it. And many of the people who are working in the space and in particular, the athletes are just so fluent in it. It's just part of their everyday culture. Do you think that that gap is still something that needs to be bridged? Absolutely.
1: I mean, they're speaking different languages. And again, to your point, administrators, you know, they're more aware of it and more open to it, obviously today than they were 10 years ago, Um, but they're not moving fast enough. And, and, and some of them use it, right? Obviously some athletic directors, even some old school athletic directors and coaches are using social media nowadays, but it, it moves fast. And so they, they've got to be able, they don't need to be experts on it, but they need to listen to their experts. And I think that's the piece like there's, I think there's still a piece in the back of, of kind of the old guard's mind. Ah, oh, this stuff's just a fad. It's like maybe, but we're a decade into it or really, I mean, you know, Facebook started when I was in college. So we're 20 years, in, we're two decades into this. Um, so fad or not, like it's, it's here and it's real and it's driving real business. I mean, I saw this was a few years ago. Uh, Miami Dolphins, I think, uh, drove four million dollars in ticket sales just through Facebook ads uh, and through, through Twitter and Instagram. like social media stuff was like that's, that's significant. four million dollars. like that's not a fad. Uh, and so i even even with stuff now you know with with nfts and like with the the top shot or whatever this stuff is i'm i'm not not well versed on what's going on because i 've been kind of head down in some other things but it's but these are really opportunities that in in an era where, where schools have to rethink revenue generation, a lot of that is going to be coming from the digital space,
0: and we 've got to be fast movers There are risks and and I think most of the risks are pretty obvious, you know, don't, don't do dumb things really. But do you think that there's still a reluctance of people wanting to figure it out and and be perfect rather than just getting in and trying to start? I, especially with the old guard,
1: I think there is a real, in terms of digital, they're really motivated by not being embarrassed. Right? It's like, so there's motivation like a pain or a gain and their motivation, what's the motivation driving their decisions. There's like, I don't wanna make a mistake and, and, and ruin my reputation, ruin my career, ruin our university. And part of it's like, well, what are you, what are you planning on saying that's that bad, right? They could actually ruin, because most of them, like, you're gonna make mistakes. Like we're human, everyone makes mistakes on social media, but, but very few of them. And I know obviously there are, there are dozens of headlines of people ruining their careers, but that has zero to do with social media and everything to do with their character. And so it's like, most of us are going to say dumb things, but not inappropriate things, not character. It's like, we just, we hit sin too early or it's a type of, you know, whatever. Um, And so for them to, part of my job has been like lowering their level of fear. Like, Hey, most of the things you're worried about are not real. That's not going to happen. If you're really that worried about it, maybe you shouldn't be in a leadership position and influencing young people. If these are like real character issues, but, but yeah, there, there is a big fear of the unknown. It's like, you mean I, I, I hit sin and like everyone can see it what if they change it? They can't change it. I mean, yes, someone can take a screenshot and Photoshop, like nobody cares that much. Um, it's you'll, you'll be okay, but
0: there's, there still is a fear around it. And even the unless you do something really dumb, kind of what you said earlier, 99.9% of the world won't even notice that you had the typo or whatever. That's right.
1: I mean, legitimately probably 95% of my tweets have a typo. I, I, that's never hurt my business. You know, like I'm not getting DMS like, Hey, you, you use the wrong there and there. I'm like, sorry. you know? sorry.
0: <laughs> like it's, it's just
1: not the end of the world.
0: You mentioned the athlete development. And I think that's a, a nice transition to kind of phase two of what you've been doing and culture wins. Mm-hmm. Explain a little bit more of what that is that you're doing now and, and how it's a more holistic view to that development.
1: Yeah, so part of this, the work with Fieldhouse, you know, it just allowed me a seat at the table with athletic directors, with senior leaders, with head coaches, just to listen to what's what's going on and to hear their struggles, their frustration, what's working, what's not. And I've always been really, really interested in leadership and culture, and found myself in leadership positions, um, whether I deserve them or not. And so it was always a space that I I was had an eye on, um, and I realized in being in a number of these conversations that. There's just a massive gap in leader development in sports. It's not unique to sports. That's just, you know, where I spend most of my time. And, and most of leader development, how we view it is bringing a speaker and they rah us for 30 minutes or an hour, and then they leave. And we're like, that was amazing. And then two weeks later, we're back to normal um, because there was no system. There was no like ground level. It was just motivation or inspiration. And it was good, um, but it didn't actually change. Change. There was no transformation within that. And Personally, I love that style. Like I love listening to great speakers. That's it's more my personality, but but most people don't operate that way. Seventy five percent of people need details. They need structure. They need a plan, not just to be sold a great story. And so as I was you know having these conversations, I realized there was a need. So I started um, something called Fieldhouse Leadership. So Fieldhouse Media and Fieldhouse Leadership, and all it was was a daily email. Um, and this was in 2015. So February of 2015, I just started to send a daily email to whoever wanted to sign up for it um, with kind of a thought or a challenge or inspiration. And then I started getting ADs and people saying, Hey, like loving these emails. Can you come do a staff retreat for us? I was like, ah, ethically, I don't feel okay with that Again, like I don't have a system. I don't have content. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm paying attention to the world and I'm fi- finding a lesson in what I'm seeing every day and, and trying to just email that to you. I don't, I don't have a system. Well, then Jeremy Kubitschek, who was the CEO of Giant, he had been living in London for a couple of years and, and he ran John Maxwell's assets for a decade. Um, he built out, there's a leadership conference called Catalyst. Um, there's a leadership conference um, called LeaderCast with, with Chick-fil-A and, and John Maxwell, a global event. Jeremy was behind all of these things. And he was, he'd kind of been, been uh, a hit or miss mentor of mine over the years, and my wife had worked for Giant. he was moving back to Oklahoma City. And he sent an email and said, Hey, I want to show you what we're working on. And he walked through some different tools. And I said, whatever that was, like, I need it as a man, as a dad, as a husband, because that's, I've never seen anything like it. Number two, that's the missing piece for college sports. And I'm doing this field house leadership thing. Like, let's, let's figure this out. And so we together just decided to call it culture wins. Um, So field house leadership became culture wins championships, which later just became culture wins. And it's really so giant does leader development self-awareness communication work-life balance culture building um with organizations around the globe i mean with with google with chick-fil-a with delta with the u.s air force with dentist's office and churches and manufacturing companies and so i've just been taking their their systems their content and bringing it into the sports world over the last four or five years uh and and Consulting with organizations, um, working one-on-one with leaders, working with um, with coaches, with student athletes—kind of depends on what every every organization wants—and it's a combo of um, in-person. So I, you know, I, I do keynotes, I do workshops, um, but we also Giant has built an online platform that organizations can use. It's kind of a um, kind of a culture management system. It's like on the platform, you can do culture assessments. There's leadership coaching every week. Um, there's you can coach your people. There's a coaching dashboard where you can do coaching sessions. Um, and it's just a way for for teams to get better without having to wait for the next, you know, workshop or keynote or book studies. Like people are getting better across the organization in real time. So we've got a number of, of universities using that, and that's kind of led us to the student athlete piece of that's more geared towards um kind of coaches and administrators. And we just realized. Um, and really business professionals. But we realized there's a need for student athletes. And so when the NIL stuff started coming, we were already thinking about a student athlete platform. Um, and so to merge you know, leadership and self-awareness and communication and social media, personal branding, NIL entrepreneurship
0: into one platform just kind of made sense. In terms of that culture coaching, what's kind of the breakdown between you're going in and talking to a coaching staff and a team versus administrators and employees?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably 50-50. It usually starts with administration. Uh, and and then, you know, we'll do a couple kind of all-staff sessions. And it used to be in person. Now this year, they've obviously been on Zoom. And one of the things like I always say, like, hey, coaches, if you need me or whoever, like, if you need me, if you need a one-on-one, if you need a team session, like, you know, let's figure it out. So usually it grows from you know, administration down to all their teams or starts with a certain, sometimes it starts with a team and that works into an entire organization. So I'll have some, you know, a coach will hear about me from another coach. Like, Hey, I, I'm supposed to talk to you, I guess. Cause so-and-so was talking about you on a coach's zoom call. Um, we need to, we need to talk, talk to each other and work together. Great. So then I'll start working with that team and they'll say, Hey, we need you in the whole department. Great. Um, and so it just, it kind of mixes. us,
0: does the messaging change if you're talking to the athletes and the coaches versus talking to the staff? Yes.
1: Coaches are they They are, um, they're just, they, they don't have a lot of patience. And they don't have a lot of time. So where I could spend two hours with administration now, obviously not whole staff, cause they got things to do, but you know, we could take a leadership team or take the marketing team, or we could spend two hours with them, breaking down all sorts of stuff and really digging in with a sports team. It's hour at the most but usually, Hey, what can we get done in 30 minutes? Um, Cause they're just, they're busy, which is good. That's been a huge challenge for me. Like we have to make our stuff like bite-sized, but still transformational, Like right? Where like it's quick, but it doesn't lose its, its meatiness where it can still change things. Uh, so I actually, I, I love that piece of it. Um, and even part of that with the platform to say, Hey, this will supplement in between our time together. Make sure you're on the platform because it's. You know, there's a thing we on the platform called Sherpa Training. It's really leadership development, but it's like 12 to 15 minutes a week to work on you as a leader. It's like, hey, in, in the met, in between our conversations, make sure you're doing that so you're there's still you know consistent progress. But yeah, with with coaches and and with with student athletes, we try to keep it pretty short and sweet.
0: You've had the opportunity to write three books, and they've kind of followed your path through all these different phases of your career. The first one was the I Athlete, talking about athletes in the digital generation, and as crazy as it sounds to I me, mean, 2013 wasn't that long ago, but that's when this book came out and the digital crazy. generation is completely wow. different now. I mean, right. Right. I, in all honesty, is that book even applicable today? Ooh,
1: um, one, <laughs> one I, don't, I wouldn't recommend it, number one, because it was probably terrible. Uh, I mean, I, I mostly wrote it to be transparent for a, for marketing to say like I wrote the book on student athletes and social media, right? As, a, as kind of a, a credibility influence thing. Um, I think it probably still does because a lot of my conversation with student athletes from a, from a 30,000 foot view, it's about behaviors more than platforms. Uh, You can get into conversations about how to create content for Instagram versus Twitter versus YouTube. uh, And those are important, but in terms of, of using social media, well, uh, from a character perspective, it's more about behaviors are, are behaviors, whether it's, you know, Vine may have existed when that came out, who knows, um, but the same behavior on vine. rest
0: in peace. By the way, rest in peace. <laughs>
1: uh, even though I guess TikTok is kind of kind of the new vine. Yeah, but it's but it's more about behaviors, and so I think to a degree that that book probably still uh,
0: holds some other. Maybe it, may be, it may be due for a refresh. <laughs> you then wrote Leadership Interrupted, and and that kind of brings a lot of this together. One, what you're talking about on the leadership side, but two, that idea of the bite sized content. Cause it's really just kind of a thought a day and it's not yep. meant to be read in a, in a week. It's meant to be one, one section a day.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, to say I wrote that book is, is, uh, pretty generous. It's really it's 365 of my daily emails put into a book. Um, so I, I had people saying, Hey, are you going to write a book off this morning? And it, which I hadn't considered. So I was like, that might be a good idea. Um, and so that was, that was, it it was a fun project. I need to redo it actually. So I'm going to do either the same one or just pick another 365. Um, I don't know when that came out, probably 2017 ish. Um, that's crazy. Um, so I, you know, I probably need to redo that but I'm going to call it five minute leadership. Um, but do a different version of that with the same kind of mindset, but yeah, the idea is, is, you know, people are really busy. And so part of a challenge for me just in general is like, what can I give people every day to help them get a little bit better? Whether that's a daily email, whether that's the book with a little, you know, version of that email, um, the daily podcast that I do, the leadership minute, like what can I do on a daily basis to give people, to help them get a little bit better in five minutes, in 10 minutes, you know, Um, because we're all busy, but we got to, I got to find room somewhere.
0: I'm going to, just be painfully obvious with this segue, but it sounds like what you're doing with those things, I don't want to talk more about them in a minute, but what you're doing on them is you're just chopping wood to to keep going. That's your latest book, 2020, Keep Chopping Wood. Have heard that phrase, have seen teams doing it. I live in Jacksonville where there was famously an incident with the wood chopping in the locker room. I'll link to that in the show notes if anybody's (laughs) curious to learn more. We will carry on, though, to you writing that book and – that really talks about everything that you've done in your career in practice. And you've written it in a way where you're talking about it from the perspective of the coach and athlete on a team to then someone in that corporate workplace. So it's not just about the athlete. It is that development of that athlete into the person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that idea came January of last year. So before the world ended Um, it was freezing here in Oklahoma city and my neighbors, we we live in a historic neighborhood. So 105, 110 year old homes. And and my neighbor actually has a wood burning fireplace. So I could smell the fire burning and my brain's just weird. So I Google like, what's the process of wood, you know, from, from forest to fire. Like, not that it's like a top, a top secret process, but, and so then I, I kind of just clicked of like, once I realized that, Oh wait, you chop wood nine months before you need it okay, well, that's, that requires a certain kind of mindset and patience and commitment. Well, that has a lot to do with teams and a lot to do with getting better and a lot to do with leadership. And so I just kind of fired off a tweet about it late on a Saturday night, um, went to bed, told my wife. like, hey, I think I just found my next book and that's an everyday thing. So she's like, I'm sure you did, whatever. <laughs> and because and I, am, I am, which is the book is kind of written for, for me. It's like, I am you know, 90% idea, 10% execution. And so I, I, it's, it's a reminder of me, like, no, execute on the things. And so I woke up that next morning and it had kind of blown up on Twitter, which is a weird thing to say, but it, it kind of blew up. I was like, all right. And then I used the story in my daily email on that Monday. So the next day uh, and got, you no, know, I usually don't get responses to my daily email, which is fine. Like, it's not the point. It's just to give an idea to people. I'm not asking questions, uh, but probably got 40 or 50 responses from that. Like, man, I gave this to my son. I gave the, I printed this off my whole team. Like it, it was I was, I was blown away. It's like, okay, that's two for two. Like it's go time. And so I sat down the next morning and, and wrote it in four hours um, and it's a short read. So people hearing this, like, it's not a 40,000 word book, it's 9,000. You can read it in 25 to 30 minutes, which is good for my attention span. Um, but yeah, I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, my audience is mostly coaches and athletes in the sports world. Um, and so I knew that's who would mostly be reading it, but I also wanted to make it relevant to 30 year olds. Um, and 50 year olds. It's like, hey, no, this is a mindset for like for for life, um, and it's been really fun. You know, I, I've got teams around the country reading it. Sports teams, obviously, but I've had whole school systems embracing it and like creating awards around like the Golden Axe and um, handing out things to kids. I've I've done talks around it for um, nuclear power companies and government agencies. Like, it's just it's been really wild to see, and, and it's not a new phrase. But I, I think I hope that I just framed it in a way that people could could relate to, um, so it's been really fun.
0: You are continuing to churn out content. You mentioned the leadership minute. You've done the sports leadership podcast. There's coffee with Kevin on on YouTube. When you get all these ideas, how do you kind of process everything to figure out okay, this is what I can distill into two minutes? And as you said, bite-sized but transformation.
1: Uh, I this is, this is probably bad. I don't put that much thought into it. Um, I just, if I have a thought, I just create it. Uh, if I have the capacity to, a, a lot of it's figuring out, do I have the capacity to do it? It's like right now I'm, I'm considering another newsletter, um, that would not be daily. Cause that would just be too much, um, either weekly or bi-weekly, maybe even just monthly on mindset. Um, and, but it'd be, it's more than, you know, the leadership minute, a little bit different than the daily emails. Um, but I think there's a need or value in doing that on a somewhat consistent basis. So part of it's figuring out, do I have enough to say on a topic like, or, you know, for the daily, for the daily, um, podcast, like, do I have enough material to do a daily email and a daily podcast? And sometimes they cross over. Sometimes I may tell the same stories. Um, but there's also like, I'm just aware what it's, what it's trained me to do is be aware of everything happening around me and finding a story in, something on sports center or like the one for today for the daily, uh, for the daily podcast leadership minute was around a Billy Eilish documentary. I just watched, um, and taking something from that and relating it to leadership or mindset. So, so it's mostly trying to figure out, do I have enough to say, to actually start like make this as a project, the coffee with Kevin? Well, that's meant to be more conversational, right? And so I've got the video guy who's a good friend. He just, he just starts asking me questions and I, I, the problem is I have, um, way too much content in me that I have, that I have time to get out. So I'm just trying to find an outlet for things and not necessarily monetizing them. Just, just hoping that they're doing some good in the leadership minute. I didn't know if anybody, I don't track metrics on a lot of this stuff. Well, I shut that down because I started doing a Monday mindset um, live stream on, on our platform uh, that people could watch. And I was like, I'm going to put my, my daily podcast energy into the Monday mindset. Well, then I started getting DMS and Hey, are you done with it? Hey, I listen to this and my son on the way to school every day. I'm like, okay. And if it's just that one guy, I'm like, that's enough for me. It's like, if I'm, if I'm making a better relationship with that son and father, great. I can spend two minutes a day <laughs> talking into my phone and creating a podcast, you know,
0: and, and having that influence is your why. And that's awesome. But there is that piece where you do need to monetize it. How have you grown all of this to be your business? I, I
1: don't know. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I am, um, you know, there's a phrase I use a lot uh, that's really kind of shaped my life over the past four years, uh, accidental versus intentional. Um, and most of us are living life on accident, right? We're just going through the motions, hoping things work out um, rather than flipping that switch to being intentional in conversation and the way that we work and the way that we think um, I have, I put a whole lot of effort intentionally into trying to create content, trying to serve people, trying to build connections. I've been very accidental on the business side. Like I've never tried to get any of my friends to bring me to their campus. You know, I've got friends at who knows how many, 10 years, I mean, several hundred thousand campuses. I've not once asked any of them, hey, bring me to your campus. Cause I don't want, I want to be, I want to be friends before there's a, there's a transactional thing. And a lot of them, I may never come to their. They may not have enough influence, right? Um, And so I think that has resonated, um, that's led to probably slower business growth, right? Business and business is fine, but it could probably be 10, 20 X what it is if I were more transactional with it. Um, But I would much rather, and and I watch people operate that way. It's like, it's very obvious to me, people who are in it for them, people who are in it for the money, people who are in it for their own ego. um, And they can make a boatload of money doing that. They're not going to have any influence other than their own bank account. It's like, I'd much rather grow a business slower and and have a boatload of and, and my family's fine. Like we're, we're doing just fine financially. Um, and but if we weren't, then be, be a different, a different deal. But this last year to me proved proved to me that we've been doing it the right way. Um, because we made it through a pandemic when a lot of speakers I know didn't, when a lot of small businesses didn't, and not because they're bad people, like COVID, it was, it was, it was non-discriminatory. It just took out whoever it wanted to take out, but a lot of them didn't have a platform rooted in just serving people. Um, and that I think allowed us to get through, get through this past year and still have a healthy business where people, for whatever reason, um, I don't know if they want to listen to my voice, but they want to listen to the content that, that I have to say.
0: You mentioned the family and you've got three young boys. How does all this development and personal growth and leadership and building a culture translate to parenting? Oh man.
1: Uh, number one, none of it, none of what I... Do in the world matters if i'm a bad dad or bad husband right it doesn't care if like people in the industry think i'm the best speaker in the world the best consultant in the world the best zero like none of it matters if my kids like i don't even know my dad right he's a jerk when he's at home or he's on his phone all the time when he's at home or he's never at practice like none of that matters um, if i don't get that right um, and a lot of the stories that i tell with with teams and leaders like it's coming from from parenting it's coming from marriage uh, because all this stuff applies. I mean, mindset, work ethic, communication, relationship, influence. Like it, it all starts in, in the home. And it's all stuff that I'm working on with my kids. Um, and I will say, if you think you're a good leader, coach a little league team. And you'll realize you're a terrible leader. Because <laughs> it's, it, there is like leading adults or leading even even uh, teens and high school kids and college student athletes is so much different than trying to communicate with a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old, certainly a five-year-old. Um, but it's, it. It's a really, really big, um, I don't know, reminder or challenge or you know whatever the word is. Like for me to make sure, like I'm not I'm not flipping a switch when I'm in public or on the internet, and then coming home, and my family getting like the second rate version of me. It's like nope, because I don't, I don't want, my my nightmare scenario is bringing my kids to a campus with me or to a game with me, and and man, your dad is like he's changing our company. Like we're so much, but you got oh. my kids being like, cool. I wish we got that version of him. Like that is my nightmare scenario. It's like, I really have to be intentional to make sure like what I'm doing in the world is mirrored of what I'm doing at home.
0: I want to ask you a few quick hit kind of action items here for people who are listening. First of all, on that social side, if you are not really active in the space, but you'd like to start and leverage that as an opportunity to build your own personal brand, what would be those tips to just get started?
1: Uh, I think figure out what your message is, who your audience is, and how you best want to share that message. It could be Twitter, it could be Instagram videos, it could be LinkedIn, it could be YouTube, it could be a newsletter. Um, but I think if you're trying to build a platform, you have to have something to say. Uh, and, and I will say too, like, it doesn't have to be a unique message, it has to be unique delivery, right? Like there's nothing new under the sun. So Like what I'm talking about in the leadership space, a lot of people are talking about. Um, people I think are just, fig- they're deciding who do they like more, who do they, who do they connect more with? Um, cause there's just, there's not a whole lot that's, that's new. And so don't feel like you have to come up with the, the newest, create, like, no, something that, that matters to you, something that you're using, something that's changed how you operate and then just shape that in your voice. So, but it ha- you have to start with having something to say, otherwise you're never going to build, build a platform.
0: If you find yourself in a leadership role and you want to be looking at the culture and, and trying to form the culture within your organization, what would be the first steps?
1: I think one is ask a lot of questions. So let's say you've just stepped into a team, um, whether it's in your organization or a new organization, you have to do a lot of listening. Hey, what, what, what's going on that you like? What, what do you think we should keep doing and why? Okay, well, what should we, because the previous leader may have done some really good things. You know, they were fired, they were, whatever. They probably did, it wasn't all bad saying, hey, what'd that, what'd that person do that you think we should keep doing? And, and why? What was the impact on that? Okay, what should we stop doing? What were they doing that didn't work? What would you change? Because you want to give people a voice. Like too many leaders want to come in and start dictating things and like setting the tone for their way. It's like set the tone for your way by listening, uh, and by engaging. That's how you quickly build buy-in and build trust. Like, okay, this person actually wants to hear what, what we have to say. And I think you constantly have to be asking, like the question we're always asking leaders, whether this is a a captain on a team, a just player on a team, head coach, AD, CEO, like what's it like to be on the other side of you? Like, what's it like to work for you? What's it like to work with you? What's it like to lead you? Like in every interaction, what, what experience are you creating for people? Because leaders are experience makers and your job is to create an experience where people can, can become their best. And if people aren't becoming their best, that's, that starts with you. Stop trying to fix other people and start with the person in the mirror first.
0: On the flip side of that, you're on a team, whether you're a player or an employee, and you're all in, you're embracing all this and and seeing opportunities to build a better culture, but your leader, your coach, your manager isn't seeing that. What can you do from that side to kind of advocate for that improvement within your organization? Yeah. One thing, this is cliche, but control what you can control. Right, You can't control your boss. A bad
1: boss doesn't give you the right to be a bad employee or a bad coach doesn't give you the right to be a bad player, bad teammate. You can still be a great leader. You can still shape influence. Uh, If you're worth following, you're worth following, regardless of of your title. So I think number one, separate what they do from what you get to do. You still get to show up on purpose. You still get to communicate well. You still get to encourage people. You still get to live a certain standard. Um, At some point, you have to have that that conversation up, right, with your coach or with, with your boss Um, and, And you have to make sure you have enough influence to have that conversation. I think too many people, they spend a lot of time complaining and getting frustrated and blaming their boss or blaming the coach. And then they wonder like why they don't have influence. Like when you go to your boss, like say, hey, this needs to be fixed. All they've heard you do for the last year is complain. I wouldn't listen to you either. I want to like, okay, well, what are you doing about it? Like how, you know what? Like I've seen you acting a little bit different than everyone else. Like, okay, I may, I may not agree with what you're saying, but I'll at least listen to you. I'll consider it. So if you're going to challenge your boss, which is okay, like there's a, there's a, a fine art and science to leading up, um, but you cannot do it unless you have enough influence. And so you also have to be thinking, like, how can I take the burden off of my boss? How can I serve them? Which people don't want to hear that. Like, how do you serve your boss? Like, well, no, they should be, no, serve your boss you should not be a burden on the person that's leading you. Now they should also not be a burden to you, but as much as, uh, as as much as it's up to you, figure out ways to serve your boss. All that's going to do is build influence. So when you need to have a
0: difficult conversation, you can actually sit down and do that. Before I get to my closing segment of the set pieces, how can people find you, your content and connect with you?
1: Yeah, probably easiest way on every platform, just at Kevin DeShazo. Um, my personal website is deshezo.me. That will get you anywhere else. Culture wins, Fieldhouse Media. But um, at Kevin Deshezo across, across platforms, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. And my email, if you're on Twitter or most of those platforms, there should be a link anywhere in there to my email, to a phone number, you know, any way to contact me.
0: And as always, I'll have all this in the show notes as well. So if you're out walking the dog or doing your your half marathon right now, you can Check in later and get those links. Hey, if you're doing
1: a happy uh, marathon. I, keep running.
0: Keep running. You've got this. You're better than us. <laughs> very much so. Uh, I do close with the set pieces, and I'm really curious to hear your answers to these. Um, to hear what influences you, and you've actually come up in some of these uh, over my first, you know, 40 or so episodes. So it's great to have the opportunity to hear who influences you, uh, what are podcasts and newsletters that you use to stay informed and keep learning.
1: Yeah. So I've become a newsletter junkie. Uh, that's become my way of, because of, I feel like people put their best into newsletters. Um, so I love, uh, now I'm going to blank. James Clear has a great one. He's mm-hmm. the author of Atomic Habits, sends one out every week. I think it's called the 321 Newsletter is what it's called. Um, just really, really good. Um, I recently started reading uh, The Daily Stoic newsletter. It's not, it's not bad. Um I know some of their stuff anyway, but it's it's been I bought one of their books recently um uh, for for my son. Which which one? Um oh what's it called? It's brand new. Um The Boy Who Would Be King. Okay. I haven't even it yet. Like so as we record this, I think it gets here in, in two days. I think it came out last week. Um Podcast. I, you know, I got really into podcasts for a while. I've stopped mostly. I think I've stopped listening because I've stopped driving. I've stopped going places. Right. <laughs> and that used to be like what I would do when I would drive. Uh, but I had my first road trip, uh, two weeks ago for the first time in, in 12 months. And I listened, this has zero to do with anything that we've talked about called smartless three comedians. Yeah. Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes and Will Arnett, Wow. Uh, and it's just, it's just really entertaining. They interview people, they did one with Will Ferrell, they did one with Melissa McCarthy, um, just a, a variety of interviews, just really, really entertaining. So zero to do with social media, personal branding, leadership. Um, and then I was on, well, there's a new one, uh, John Acuff called All It Takes is a Goal. Uh, it's just been an author that I followed for, for a long time. Um, and then a friend of mine I, I recently met, he was Blake Bozarth. It uh, runs a company called co thrive. He's got a, a podcast called leadership on purpose. I was on it. So it's not a shameless plug plug really. Cause like he's just got some really good um, guests and it's, it's kind of blown up out of nowhere. So those are some that I, I, when I
0: listen to podcasts, those are what comes up. Who are your most valuable follows? the posts you don't want to be missing.
1: Most valuable follows. Okay. All right. There's a guy uh, named Brad Stolberg. Uh, B Stolberg is his Twitter handle. I, don't, I think his company is called the growth equation um but it's just just consistently good content and it's not hype like thirty thousand foot view stuff like you know rise and grind all day it's like whatever like it's it's really good really balanced on talking about rest and talking about performance the idea is like how do we perform at our best whether you're an athlete or a leader um so he's he's really good i'm going through titles so i can make sure i get this right um a friend of mine named cody royal uh C-O-D-Y-R-O-Y-L-E. He is the head coach for Canada's Australian Football League team. Okay, I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> but, but he's their head coach. He's an author. He's a podcast. Um, he, uh, he has a new book out called The Tough Stuff. It's for head coaches, but I would recommend for anyone really about the stuff, like the, the really difficult things that head coaches, and I would say, again, any leader deals with that nobody wants to talk about. Um, he's got a, pod, a, bo- a book and a podcast called Where Others Won't. Um, so he's one that I really enjoy. And then one that maybe your people will know, maybe they won't. Um, Shane Parrish. So Shane A. Parrish is a Twitter account. Um, he's got, I don't know if it's a company, a blog, a something uh, called Farnham Street. And so just really good insight into productivity, into thinking, into leadership. Um, so those are probably three that would be useful.
0: You've already mentioned a book, but a couple others that you might recommend to people.
1: Uh, books. I try to be prepared for this because I'm usually not prepared. Um,
0: Atomic Habits
1: by James Clear. I mentioned that. It is a, it's a top five for me. I will mention that for the next 50 years until something replaces it. Um, a book I read in the last few months, it's really interesting. It's called A Failure of Nerve, Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix. This guy, I think, is a rabbi. He's something. But he's a counselor. He's a consultant. He wrote this either in the either I think the early '90s, um, but it's really really relevant on how like we cater to weak minded people, <laughs> which slows organizations down. Um, it's a really really good read. Really challenged a lot of the things that I that I think about. Um, probably an obvious one. People have said "Man's Search for Meaning." Victor Frankel. Oh, and the the uh, the author on failure of nerve is Edwin H. Friedman. Friedman. I don't know how you say it. Uh, and what else do I want to give you that maybe people haven't read? Try to give some unique stuff. Um, the Power of a Humble Life by Richard Simmons. Not that Richard Simmons. Uh, I I had coffee probably 15, 18 months ago uh, with a guy named Phil Beckner. He is Damian Lillard's like personal coach, trainer guy. Now he works with a number of NBA players. Uh, and so we had coffee when, when, the trailblazers were in town and, and he uh, recommended that book to me. And I probably read it three times in the last 15, 18 months, short read, but really, really good. What would you
0: consider your cheat code or your best life hack?
1: Drink coffee. Um, best life hack. I would say um, not, not real specific, like how you start your morning matters. Like mornings are the key to your day. Uh, And so it doesn't matter. It's not about when you wake up, like you don't need to wake up at 4am and like kill a lion and climb a mountain. It's like, (laughs) you know, but, but what you do when you, when you wake up matters. I was, I was coaching a guy a couple of years ago. Uh, He was a journalist and he was just really unbalanced, unhealthy. And, and obviously social media kind of drives a lot of things for him. And I said, well, you need to do something in the morning. Like you need to not check Twitter for like 30 minutes. He's like, yeah, but that impacts my job. Like, I could have a plan for the day and something could have broken overnight um, in the NBA and now my whole day has changed I said I get it I said but that's true whether you wake up whether you look at your phone at 7 or seven doesn't really matter like that that thing is still true I said is your company like do they know when you wake up he's like no that'd, that'd be weird I'm like of course that'd be weird I said so act like you wake up 30 minutes after you wake up and just do something else for those 30, go read go for a walk like do something um, so I just think that that morning routine, again, doesn't have to be anything crazy, uh, but what you do in the morning will set the tone for your whole day. Can I ask
0: your morning routine?
1: Absolutely. So I, I wake up, I, I like to wake up early. Um, so do my kids, which is unfortunate, but, um, so I'm usually up five 45 ish, six ish. Um, and I wake up, get a cup of coffee. Uh, I read for a bit, uh, I've started, this is, this is new, um, I, it's, it's an app called day one. I've now been doing it for 81 straight days and 190 out of 191 days, just, just putting in 10 things that I'm grateful for. Just like trying to start my day with some kind of gratitude instead of starting off with, with stress. So I wake up, read a little bit, put in 10 things I'm grateful for. Uh, I've got an identity statement. I talked about this and, and keep chopping wood. This is a, kind of my story. It's like three or four sentences to like remind me of like, hey, this is who you are. This is what you're about. Like. The world's gonna get really distracting today. Like you're gonna have a lot of things pulling at you to tell you what to be. This is who you are. So kind of to center myself on that. Um, I miss the first thing I do when I get downstairs is I drink a cup of water, um, so that I can start my day making a good decision. It's not necessarily about water. I, I don't care that much about water, but it's good for you. So I could say like, hey, my first thing I did today was make a good decision. Um, so that that's the, my routine. Then I kind of hang out with my boys um, and and then take them to school after that. But this is that all that is like 15, 20 minutes. You know, it's not a, it's not a several hour thing. And, and I can do that wherever I'm at, right. At home or on the road.
0: What's your favorite sports memory as a kid?
1: Um, I don't have one of my own. I mean, i, I just <laughs> never hit a game winning shot. Um, my favorite sports memory is Scotty Thurman hitting the shot uh, for Arkansas over Duke, I believe in the 1994 national championship game. Uh, 93 94 something like that mm-hmm. uh, I grew up an Arkansas fan my grandpa was just a massive massive Arkansas fan and I've just never seen him happier uh, and so to see to see and then I so to tie on to that I was working with Arkansas a couple years ago and Scotty Thurman was an assistant on the basketball team oh, wow. uh, and now he coaches high school in in Little Rock I think he's in Little Rock um, and I walked in uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to I, I'm being paid to be there to work with the team and I walk in I'm like Oh my goodness, Scotty Thurman. I'm freaking out. Like, can we get a picture? My grandpa's going to freak out. All right. I'm like, you're paying me to be here. But it was just one of those moments. Like, man, you have no idea. Like as a little kid, that moment was just awesome.
0: From the conventions you, you get to speak at. And I'm sure through your work with these schools, you've had the opportunity to go to quite a few of their games. Have you gotten a bunch of credentials? Do you keep them? And if so, where is that collection?
1: Uh, I I don't keep them on purpose I keep them because I'm just unorganized (laughs) and and so I I've got they're just kind of scattered around like as I sit in the office like some are on a shelf over here some are probably my backpack some are probably at home Um, so I I, I'm not the guy who like has you know hundreds of credentials right from all these bowl games and different things and has them like framed Um, they're just
0: kind of randomly scattered about not necessarily a collection but they have been collected gotcha (laughs) Very good. Kevin, I really appreciate the time. Uh, again, in the show notes, I'll link to every way that people can find you and your books and your podcasts and all the content that you're churning out. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation today.
1: Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks to Kevin for all his insights. As we discussed in the episode, you can find links to his work and where to follow him in the show notes on credentialsonly.com. While you're there, sign up for our mailing list so we can slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. We, too, are on social media, so please do follow us at Credentials Only on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And do us a favor. Take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. Thanks to you for listening and to Mike Boucher for being the editor of Credentials Only, which is a Holter Media production.